Welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Jen Sproul, CEO of the Institute of Internal Communication. Our organisations face an onslaught of challenges across the social, economic, political and environmental spectrum. The systems we've used to support 21st century ways of life are weakening. The way we work requires dramatic transformation in response to these challenges. Internal communication is a crucial function that helps organisations achieve lasting change. This podcast explores the intersection between internal communication and the future of work. Every conversation is curated to help internal communicators better understand the risks and leverage opportunity. We really hope you enjoy listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Jen Sproul, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dominic Walters and Catherine Barnard. And to kick off our 2023 series, I'm delighted to that we are joined by Suzanne Peck, who is the president of the IOIC, and her day job is also managing director of SQL Group. So welcome, Suzanne, to the podcast. Thank you very much. As always, so we're going to kick off this year with really chatting with Suzanne about there's been so much going on. We can't deny how much has changed in how we work, what the role of communication looks like in probably the last three years, more significant change than we we perhaps felt in some of our career lifetimes so far. And as you do when you start out a new year, you try to take away sort of those lessons and we look at on where that's going. So I guess really to start the conversation... Suzanne, what have you noticed as the key drivers of change for internal communication profession since the pandemic hit? That's a great question. There are so many things, aren't there? And I think when I reflect on that, I really feel that internal comms is at an inflection point and a real change post-pandemic. In work, I'm reading a lot about how we're seeing the Great Reset, as it's been called. And I think that's actually a really great description of the current um, IC landscape and for our profession. The big contributor, really, it is that continuing economic uncertainty. And that really is making employers and employees really, really jittery. Both are uncertain about what the year ahead is going to bring. And also, well, what will it mean for business, you know, for their own personal finances and also job security? And both parties are really battling with those rising costs and, you know, disrupted supply chains. You know, things two years on still aren't steady. And also we're seeing these requests for inflationary pay rises as well as hearing more and more about redundancies. And, you know, who would have ever known two years ago that you'd have so many redundancies in tech as well as hospitality and manufacturing? So I think this uncertainty is really contributing to this reset. For me, another key factor is that, you know, almost three years after COVID, the contract, the relationship really between employer-employee, well, it's changed out of all recognition. You know, how employees engage with their employer and their work is so different in so many firms and that whole construct of operating models is changing to fit this new world of work for the 21st century where we don't even know what the new world of work is going to look like and while people may not be resigning at the same rate as they did in 2021 and 2022 even 
in this year, this new year of 2023, employees are really still considering their relationships with their jobs and their employer. And more and more factors like how much they love the actual job, how much they feel valued by their line managers in particular, and also if they have a really good, strong connection or purpose to the firm, all of that really is counting far more. And I think they're the key drivers for change. Thanks very much, Suzanne. I think a lot of that reflects what we've been hearing in the in the podcast over the last 12 months as well, particularly this greater focus on listening and collaborating and helping to develop, I suppose, that new revised contract. You've mentioned some of the things we've seen in the last 12 months. And specifically, I guess it's been a, quite a turbulent 12 months. We've had the terrible invasion of Ukraine and that that war has rumbled on throughout 2022. We've seen, as you mentioned, the whole political crisis I and mean, the fact that we've already started to see the spin-off effect of the political crisis on how people lead within organisations, because it's almost accelerated the lack of trust that people have with their leaders as well. And as you mentioned, we've seen the, the cost of living crisis and lots of industrial unrest and lots of demands for increased pay rises. So specifically, Taking those key points, I know there are other things as well, what impact have they had on the life of an internal communicator and what internal communicators are being expected to do? The value of internal comms was really high during the pandemic. We built our profile and could really easily demonstrate our impact. And we got what we wanted for years. You know, working with senior people, part of that strategic decision making, not just all about delivering the outputs. We were recognised and our skills were recognised too. And what we did is we really connected those dispersed audiences. Frankly, we were valuable. But I'm kind of feeling now that the value of internal comms might be evaporating a little bit. And I've been trying to put my finger on why it feels different. I've been in internal comms for about 30 years now and come through two other big recessions you know, 1980s, the early 2000s. But this time it just feels so different and a lot more scary, frankly. And it could be that it's not just about recession in the UK. It's more of that global issue with some of the things, Dom, that you mentioned. You know, we are seeing the impact of the Ukraine war. And really, does it look as though it's got any end? You know, we are seeing the impact of Brexit. You know, post-pandemic, we are working more flexibly. And so we do have that different relationship with working our employers. I'm not an economist or a business consultant, but I do know that these things are really impacting on internal comms this year. We can't control these external factors, but I think we have to rethink what internal comms value now means to our organisations It will be really easy to sit back on the praise we got during the pandemic. You know, what a great job we did of making the comms work in connecting people. And yes, effective channels and tools are important. Of course they are. But I think they're givens now. We've done that. You know, it's a different landscape completely. I was really interested in a survey I saw, I think a couple of weeks ago, and it was from the US, but it was asking senior leadership where they saw comms adding the most value going forward in 2023. And top of the list was executive communication, really to help leadership to continue to shape and refine its voice. The second highest rated was employee engagement. And that really highlights our 
importance in not just the broadcasting of message, but in making comms super relevant so that they really stick. And proving internal comms value in one organisation can be really different to proving it in another. But what's important is that as communicators, we understand and know the value that we bring you know, what it means in our firms, the difference it makes, and how it needs to flex to keep up with that changing landscape. But having talked about all the gloomy bits, I also want to say that, you know, in these uncertain times, there's a massive opportunity for internal comms to really prove its value. I mentioned that I've been in comms through two other big recessions. And what I experienced then is that internal comms not only survived, but it thrived. Yes, of course, we will have budget restraints and some campaigns and initiatives will be postponed. But not my experience and what I'm seeing now in my own client work is that need and desire for comms during this great reset. And it's going to be continue to be huge. I think as communicators, you know, what kind of thing do we need to do? We need to learn to be flexible. And, you know, we've talked about change is so rapid that, um, you know, trying to plan ahead for any business, it's futile. No one's got a clear crystal ball. Organisations are not just talking about lean and agile as a way of working. They are embracing it so that they can remain competitive and profitable. And so what I think is what could have been a three year business plan in the past is at best a six month one now. You know, it makes it so hard to predict and prioritise, especially as communicators. So I think there's a real opportunity for internal comms to demonstrate value by rethinking how we plan and prioritise during this inflection point, this reset. And if I could just go reinforce what you said, because like you, I've been a veteran of a few recessions. And I think what does feel different now is this focus on leadership communication, what you've said from the survey. I think we're seeing that with organisations we're working with as an institute as well. And we've heard it in the podcast this year. But I think it's one of the things that came out of the pandemic is that leaders started to realise the power they could have if they got communication right. So I think that's one of the encouraging signs we've seen this year is that Leaders recognise they need help and coaching in having good conversations, and they're increasingly looking to internal communicators to do it. So that's a heartening thing to take from what has been a pretty traumatic year. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think this is key to how we can help leaders in particular, because I know in organisations, I still see in organisations doing three-year plans. And really, as communicators, I think we need to push back a bit and say, that's fantastic. It's great to know the direction of travel. Let's really focus on the next six months. You know, so are we talking enough to leaders about what's the key things we really need to do? because things are going to change. So let's really focus on the things we need to do. And I love a Gantt chart. I love a planner, you know, anything that, you know, really helps me keep my focus. But frankly, at the moment, I think lavishing time on a beautifully produced 12-month plan is a bit of a vanity project and pretty pointless. And I'm certainly advising clients and in my own work to just look at the six months and then build in regular reviews of what works and what needs to change. I think there's a really interesting point to perhaps unpick here around the whole construct of what gets communicated at work within the realm of internal communication. Because I do wonder if 
many organisations are still applying conventional thinking to internal comms, by which I mean you communicate something that needs to be communicated, but the landscape is so different, it's impossible for anybody now to predict what's going to happen next week because there's so much change, so much volatility, so much interconnection between market forces. I wonder if the new opportunity for internal communicators is to have a conversation with their leaders about communication itself and actually a really important need, which is to keep communicating even if, as a leader, you don't have the answers. What is more important to keep people kind of bound together and connected through uncertain times and uncharted territory is the freedom to communicate, actually. You don't need to have a strategic vision per se. I agree entirely with your point, um, Suzanne, about, you know, being completely unable now to foresee two, three, five years down the line. But actually, what communication is a social skill that binds us together in the face of uncertainty. And actually, perhaps the opportunity here is, is that leaders learn how to converse, communicate, just connect with the people around them, even when they don't know the answers to what lies out there. I've done a great amount of work looking at the leadership literacies for the 21st century. And one that stands out for me in particular is humility, the ability to say, I don't have the answers, but we will figure it out together. That to me seems like a a very much a sea change from conventional thinking about leadership, whereby you may have been led to believe it's my job to have the answers, to set the strategic vision, blah, blah, blah. I am in the driving seat. I think it's okay not to be in that driving seat. What I don't think is okay, and we saw that so much in 2022 in the political realm, is to enter prolonged periods of silence because nothing creates a vacuum and into a vacuum you get all the conspiracy theories and all the oh my god you know the rumors and and so on so keeping the lines of communication open is is really important even when you might not as a leader feel that you've got anything substantive to communicate dom i know you are in this space all the time so i don't know what you think of that hypothesis it's a very strong hypothesis because people will make up their own stories and they'll always ascribe a negative, well, most often will ascribe a negative motive to it. So we get, as you say, lots of leaders working on change projects will say, we've got nothing to say, we're not going to say anything. And they think that's a good thing. And it's helping people. And of course, it's quite the opposite. And then what people start to say is they're divided, they don't agree, they haven't got a clue. So if you've got nothing to say, at least tell people what needs to happen until you ha- you will have something to say. So you you keep that tempo going, you keep that connection going. And the other side, of course, is you may not have anything to say, but other people may. And so by giving them the opportunity to raise issues or ask questions or just connect and and check in is vitally important as well. So you're right. There's no excuse not to communicate. In fact, leaders cannot not communicate. So silence, as you've rightly said from the political scene, for example, silence is seen as 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 a form of communication in itself without getting too philosophical. 
I totally agree with all of that, by the way, but I've got a slightly different angle on this as well, is because when I do focus groups for clients, unlike pre-pandemic, the most common thing I'm hearing from employees is there's too much information. So this is a really different side. And there was one comment, I noted it down from one that I did last month is, I'm having to work across different channels and media now. It's like whack-a-mole. You deal with one message, another one pops up somewhere else. It's a cultural reference for people who may not know what whack-a-mole is. But employees are really facing an overwhelming number of distractions in their personal and professional lives. You know, we choose the media information we want to consume in our personal lives. We don't have the luxury of doing that in our working lives. I think there was a report done last year, and that said that, you know, on average, people are dealing with, at the very least, five, at the very most, up to 10 different channels at any one time. So channels and platforms, and they're pinging at you permanently. So, you know, line manager comms, teams comms, all company comms, emails, video meetings, Zoom, you know, teams, face-to-face, the list just goes on and on. And us having to multitask against and across all these devices really impacts business productivity. Some that stood out with me, a psychologist researcher, he said that mental blocks experienced by shifting between tasks can cost as much as 40% of someone's productive time at work. And then on top of that is that, well, where I, I remember I saw a message about that. That's important information. Where was it? So, you know, you're having to look through all these different um, channels and media. And that's a lot of lost time and overload. And I think that's another great opportunity for internal comms to really help the business to manage this flow and frequency of communication. We can cut through the noise. You know, we're actually really good at doing that and knowing what's useful and what isn't. And I think looking at the pandemic, we won the battle then around one size does not fit all comms. So I think it's more about, you know, how do we find effective ways to communicate, you know, now, now that we have all these channels. I think it's for us a chance to like grasp the segmentation and, you know, stop the mechanics of comms and do a little bit more about the fine tuning of it. You know, mechanics, I mean, we found out how people want to communicate the who, what, why, when and how. We've got all that information. So I think it's fine tuning that flow and frequency so we can really measure what works best in the current climate. Suzanne, I think I just want to, because I think you say so much valuable stuff there around, yes, and I hear that all the time. I was at an event the other week, you know, where essentially it was a roundtable debate and we were all talking about it. And essentially they were saying their biggest challenge is, and I've said this a couple of episodes as well, is time. Is that everyone is saying, I've time, time to do, let alone time to think, time to make sense or to ideate or to innovate or to do all those things that we want our organisations to do to thrive and meet commercial market challenges, but also just to make work feel more fulfilling, you know, and that's the thing where is work feeling fulfilling. And I don't wish to go over old ground and make us feel like we've never moved forward because we certainly have. But going back to that point that you were just saying, Suzanne, around uh, the opportunity to rationalise and and look at our mechanics as well as making sure that we're having agility to make sure that we are moving and responding and involving and all those things. Do you think we still as a professional community 
are not drawing enough together that measurement, that intelligence, or using that to actually force ourselves to change. And I don't wish to go over that, but we've talked about it a lot in internal comms. And I still feel like that conversation comes around. So do we, as an opportunity, need to work on our evidence to reduce that in some way? A hundred percent. I mean, we could be having doing this podcast 20 years ago and we would have been talking about measurement. We're probably going to be doing the podcast in 20 years time and still be talking about measurement. You know, I don't know what it is. It is better. I have to say it is better. I think one of the impacts of digital transformation has created more ways of checking. And what I see, you know, there's a lot of data and stats But that's only half the picture. You know, I don't really want to know how many people clicked on something. I want to know what it made them feel, what it made them think, what it made them do. So that trying to harness that more qualitative is really hard. Is it lack of time? Don't know. Could it be they just don't know where to start? Could be. But we should all be doing something to start small. I really think there is no excuse because without data, all we have is an opinion. So yeah, totally support what you're saying, but will we ever have solved it? I don't think so. I just want to pick up on that point that you made about how people feel when they receive information. I think that's something that we noticed in our client work in 2022 is that while hybrid has been adopted and allowed people far greater flexibility over the structure and mix of their working day. Something that really stood out is that most people are absolutely craving permission to just chat about stuff. And because Now we come together online in a Teams setting or a Zoom setting. There's a certain kind of delineated structure to that that is quite mechanistic. And I think surreptitiously, unconsciously, it forces us to think about productivity. Oh, my God, I have a meeting from 9 until 9.50, and then I have a five-minute break, and then... I'm back online at 10 o'clock for my next one and my next one and my next one. And we've lost our ability to meander through the social scape of relationships at work. And you're absolutely right. You know, those are the connections that leave an imprint on our souls because they make us feel something. If somebody gives you a piece of information in a artificially constructed meeting setting, you are so much less likely to integrate that information and remember it than if you were sat side by side, I don't know, having a giggle and a joke, you would remember that piece of information. So there's something that I think we have to do to bring back sociality at work. And in my opinion, I think internal communication as a function is really well placed to do that because by default, if you work in internal communication, you have a love of language and the meaning that language offers to the people who receive that language. I just think in 
five years from now, will we have a whole new function in business that is akin to kind of entertainment, not entertainment coordinators, I guess I'm thinking of student unions, but somebody who creates convenings where people come together and just be because we seem to have forgotten how to do that. We are so hell-bent on outcomes and deliverables and results and efficiencies. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be efficient. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be focused on outcomes. But somehow in the middle of this, we have lost the essence of what it means and what it feels to be human and in community with one another. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, I know you were going to ask me about, you know, what trends are kind of most closely tracking and that that ties in so much with something that I do feel passionate about and that is about employee well-being because well-being was already hurtling up the organizational agenda because of the pandemic and then you throw in the economic turmoil as well and we've seen financial well-being really set at the top of the list of employees' concerns. And really, how can, you know, internal comms, how can we help? This is a delicate, a difficult, a really personal subject. And, you know, I've seen some really dire examples um, of bad comms around this. There was an influencer. Her heating broke. So she said to her millions of followers, she was off to stay at the Savoy to make full use of their wonderful hot water. There was a managing director and he started a company blog because he did a blog every week by saying, I've had a really rotten week. I was traveling to the Maldives for some winter sun, but the limo was late. The plane was delayed and there was a long queue in customs. Oh, my goodness, that must have been so awful for him. You know, and these examples, you know, we, we hear them all the time. I'm sure these people did not mean them to come across in the way they do, but it really shows that lack of understanding and empathy about the people around you. You know, and these really hit hard at a time. I think it's three in four UK adults are really feeling very or somewhat worried about the rising costs of living. So this has got to be a major trend and a concern um, from organisations too. Stressed employees are far less productive, you know, they don't communicate as well, especially when we're working from home, you can go and hide at home, you know, we all know we need to start worrying about people who always have their cameras off, you know, we need to be asking those questions. And I think internal comms can really play a part this year in helping to raise awareness, to build understanding and encourage that conversation. As you were saying, Kat, that kind of sociality at work. It could be around, you know, creating a hub of resources and guidance or encouraging people, I don't know, to share budgeting tips in a WhatsApp group or something. But I've also seen some firms joining with the finance team and running workshops to inform people And of course, getting line managers on board, that line manager communication is so important because they're the bridge, aren't they, between employees and the company. And, you know, whether it's mental, physical or financial stresses that people have got, can we give line managers communications training? I know that IOIC is launching that. It's fantastic. You know, this frozen middle, we really need them to be the glue, which I think will actually help us address a lot of the opportunities and the challenges you know that we're facing especially this year I was just going to say what I think is so intriguing about that is 
if we go into well-being using the traditional lens, I think we will get it wrong. But actually, what I find so intriguing is what you just alluded to, Suzanne, which is ultimately, at the end of everything, all any human being wants to know is that they're not alone. And the solidarity that is gained through knowing it's not just me experiencing the world in the way it's presenting itself to me at the moment. It's not just me who's worried about whether or not I'm going to be able to meet my rent, my utilities, whatever, at the end of the month. I mean, goodness me, look at Brené Brown, who is now a globally known name in the fields of leadership, teamwork, etc. And one of her first books was, I thought it was just me, but it isn't. The idea that you can build such connection and community by sharing authentic conversation and sense making in the world. That's the opportunity. I, you know, we need to step away from well-being as being, I don't know, mindfulness interventions. That's great. That's great. But that's not what we remember. What we remember is the fact that we were able to have a conversation with somebody somewhere within our organization who sees the world as I do. And I think that's the opportunity for internal communicators to facilitate, convene, encourage, curate, whatever. But just these gatherings where people can have open and honest heart-to-hearts with the people that they are comfortable having those conversations with, because that's where you get the return on emotion. Just to back that up, we were talking about when we work with line managers, uh, when they look at communication, they, many line managers still think it's about being able to stand up and articulate, which of course helps, but it's about building that trust. So going back to what you were saying, Susanna, and you as well, Kat, is you can't just walk up to someone and have a conversation with them about their financial well-being. People will only do that with individuals they trust, and that's on a, built on a track record of having regular conversations, of listening and actually doing something with the information you're getting back. And so it, I think it reinforces the point we've been making, which is you have to build that relationship. You can't just suddenly ask people questions about personal aspects of their lives and expect them to respond. In fact, it will have the opposite effect. So I, I think it really does point to the fact that, yes, the line managers are glue, and they're also an important part of the organization's relationship with its employees. That's true. And I think what it comes back to is that it's about communicators. 2023, I think, is our year. We need to be that more, a bit more thoughtful, we have to be a little bit more considerate and we have to be consistent as well. And, you know, another seed, let's throw one in. We have to be the collaborators, you know, something that brings people together on oh, a fifth seed, connects people as well. It's like, Suzanne, you know, marketing has their four Ps. I think we need our four Cs. And that is connection, conversation, collaboration. I can't think of the fourth one, but I'm sure we've said it somewhere along the line. I shouldn't have done that to myself on the spot. There's a lesson learned. And there's so much that has been said. And, and like I said, I think we're all seeing the data and all the points and all the evidence and all the need. And I think businesses are seeing the need because as we walk into this 2023, on the backdrop of all the things that we said at the beginning, from recession to cost of living to 
all those types of things, we are so reliant on our human resource and less human resource to do more with. And if businesses don't get this right, don't consider all of that, without human resource, they're not going to achieve. And that could be from long-term sickness, the ability to process, the ability to innovate, the ability to feel a connection to who they work for, to feel this is a place I want to be. I think it was something that Dan said, Dan Sodergren, who's going to be on another episode, said at the festival, you know, we want to do what we care about, what we love. And I think that we're looking for that as human beings as well. But with all of that said, all of that wonderfulness said, and I know, Suzanne, this is a question that is almost impossible to answer. So I'm, but I'm going to say it anyway. What do you imagine the IC profession will look like five years from now? What might its core focus be? Oh, my goodness. If I could answer that, I would be so rich. I can't answer it. it as you say, it's impossible. But I think we can't doubt that digital transformation is going to continue. I mean, I think we will be, we have to be the most digitally adept and skilled people we can be because our audiences are getting younger. As technology moves on, we just have to grasp and become, we're not, a lot of us like me, I'm not a digital native. You know, it's hard for me to grasp some of these technologies and how to use them, but my goodness, I've got to do it. We cannot afford to be left behind. You know, we need to be advising our organisations on what the right tools, um, who knows what they'll have invented by then. So digital awareness is going to be really key. Five years, hybrid working? I don't know. You know, will we be in? Will we be out? Will we still be doing a mixture? Or will it just be working? That's just working. Could be. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about hybrid working? I think it's a term that I, and I know, Kat, you're going to know who ter- coined the term because you're very good at that. But I, um, I think that it's a term that's been coined from the pandemic. Um, you know, some people call it flexible. Some people call it remote. And I think there's some conversations that I'm having that this is about, do we just ditch the labels and stop trying to fit ourselves into systems and labels of work and where we do? And maybe that is creating this sense of, because we're so focused on making hybrid, and again, I'm doing my inverted commas that no one can see, hybrid work. So we're focused on making that work as opposed to making our organisations work in whatever fits that. And there is, as you said, Suzanne, that no one size fits all. And I think that when you talk about what does it look like five years from now, for me, there is this place, who knows, who knows, but technology is not going anywhere absolutely not. We need to make it our friends. You know, we've been looking at the advancements in AI and all that stuff that's happening. And we've talked earlier about the need to streamline all of our processes. How can we get technology to be our friend, to work alongside it, so it enables what I think is finitely going to be important to the future of work and business, the human connection. And that is what takes time, empathy, emotion, and Businesses need to feel that return on emotion. So I, I think the role will, will shift and our context will shift. But I think we've always got to be lovers of language, lovers of words, lovers of sense. We have to be, as you say, digital natives. But I think we also have to really drive the value of human connection and how that drives businesses forward. I don't know what Kat or Dom or anybody else thinks about that. Yeah, I guess what I feel very strongly is that as a species as an animal species we are 
in danger at this point in history of succumbing to the tsunami of digital tech. And now is the time to identify and protect what makes us human. And and I, you know, I know I hark on about this. I know we talked about it in the very first episode of this podcast, you know, the history of our species to communicate dates back you know, hundreds of thousands of years, 70,000 years, can't even remember. But the point being, you know, I see almost a fork in the road, really, which is that in order to survive organisationally and to continue to deliver value, we need to identify the art of communication. We need to practice the art of communication for shared meaning and aligned, agreed vision and so on. And, you know, all of these natural talents that we possessed as little as 15 years ago before the advent of the first smartphone, we're starting to lose them because we're just allowing digital communication to take over from IRL in real life, face-to-face, whatever we want to call it. And actually, for me, I think, you know, five years from now, although it's impossible to predict what the external environment will look like, I would like to think that within our organisations, we have people who love language and communication, role modelling, communication, so that digital natives coming into an organisation for the first time who perhaps haven't had the experience of how a really great conversation leaves you feeling, so that young adults get to experience that, so that we sit together in companionship. Because if we lose those things, as, as hard as they are to articulate, I'm not sure that we are productive together you know, if we're alienated from one another, how productive can we possibly be? So for me, the opportunity is to step into the role modeling of great human to human communication. All the digital stuff is a BAU, a business as usual kind of activity. And we'll have to evolve our knowledge and understanding of that in step with Silicon Valley developments. But how we communicate to build relationships and to enhance our well-being as you said you know really valid point how we do that that requires some of us to be bold and step into the space and say this needs protecting how are we going to do it let's role model it let's feel it let's convene let's gather let's have great conversations that don't have to be about organizational deliverables. They can be about I'm a celebrity or the football or whatever it happens to be because it makes us feel good. We we talked about lots of C's earlier. So listening to you, I think all of you, I think you've asked me what I would think about it. I think in the five years coming, we're still going to be focused on three C's, I think which I think are clarity, because whatever happens, people need clarity about what's going to happen in the organisation and what's needful. They need connection. What does that mean for me? 
And I think you're right, Kat, that's going to be in a very different way that we do it. And it's about conversation. I think if you, I'm sure there are more seeds as well, but those are three that strike us, strike me from what you said. But it sounds like the way in which we're going to be doing that may well be open uh, up for grabs. We don't quite yet know how that's going to happen. One of the things we know is we need to focus much more on helping people build relations, have conversations. So that's that's my take on it, from what, what you've said. And if I may, just kind of a final thing for me, I would like to think that in five years' time, the internal comms is respected and valued and useful. But I do think it's up to us. You know, organisations aren't going to give it to us. It's up to us to actually make that happen. It lies with us. I think, Suzanne, that is a perfect note to end this podcast. Um, I think we've all agreed we have plenty of seeds that we can go after, whether that's the three, the four, or even we can go to the seven. But what we do is valuable. What we do is has impact. And what we have as a profession is a rich amount of opportunity. And it's in our hands and in our power to work through that, to do that, to make sense of it and show our strategic value. So we hope as an episode, and thank you, Suzanne, for coming on. This really helps to kick off 2023 to give you that food for thought, to go away and think about where do I want to focus focus on those margins, on those six months things, as Suzanne said, so that we can drive that value that we think is really important in this new context of perhaps how we live and work. So thank you, Suzanne. And as always, thank you everybody for listening. And we hope you'll tune in to the next episode. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have, please like it and share it with your friends and colleagues on your preferred digital channels. Every recommendation helps us spread the word to build a better, more connected and inclusive future of work. Thanks for listening.